Would you join me in prayer? Father, we, we confess it, it, it kind of blows our minds to consider that, that the farthest reaches, the farthest edges that we can imagine of the love of God for us, and yet your love for us in Christ Jesus stretches beyond those ends. Would you fill our hearts with fresh gratitude for the immense and powerful and personal love of God toward us in Jesus. Give us fresh eyes to see the the glory of God in Jesus and the, the hope that we have in this message of the gospel, even this morning, that it would send us out as ambassadors, as those who carry around this hopeful message in all that we say and do. Help us now, encourage us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can have a seat. That was indeed a record. Um, Two things with that. One, uh, we have to do that more often apparently. Um, Because that was eight eight, eight families, ten kids. And I, I know right now that there are a couple other kids who... We'll be here. Just a quick shout out, um, by the way, uh, to um, Joel. There he is. Was uh, born on Wednesday, which was my birthday. So yay for me! And uh, and I was like, Morgan, you had a baby like four days ago. She's like, Well, this is my excursion for the day. So it's good. That's awesome. I'm, I mean, we're happy for all the kids, but that was just kind of extra special because he's tiny. Um, anyway. Uh, We're working through a series entitled What We Believe, highlighting some of our core doctrines, our core convictions, our core practices as a church, and looking at the scriptures as the foundation for those things. Uh, If you need a Bible to follow along, you can slip your hand up, and folks from our strike team, Life and Joe, can get one to you. This is our second to last sermon in this series. Uh, Next week, we'll close out this series looking at eschatology, the the theology and study of the end of all things. And uh, clearly, we won't cover... Um, every detail of all the complex ideas around the end of time and the judgment and new heavens and new earth, but we will unpack some of those things as we close our series next week. But today we're looking at the idea of our message, our mission, and multiplication. Our message, our mission, and multiplication. Uh, Pastor Charlie preached a number of weeks ago on the centrality of the gospel as the center of our faith and message. Pastor Devin preached following that on discipleship, how this gospel message, this good news about Jesus comes to bear, calling us to faith and maturing us as we grow in grace, as we walk by faith with one another. And today I'd like to build on both of these convictions with a focus on the idea that God uses the means of gospel proclamation to multiply disciples and to expand the reach of the kingdom of God in all the earth that all those who belong to Christ Jesus are called to proclaim His message. Because God, in His divine wisdom, has established that the means by which His message goes out to all those who need to hear it is through us, through His people, proclaiming His message. See, we tend to treat gospel proclamation or evangelism as an extra It's like a bonus part of what it means to be a Christian rather than as an essential component 
You might argue, well, I, I don't really have the gift of evangelism. It's not really my, my thing. And I might say to you as an encouragement that you might be using that as an excuse. Or there might be fear of backlash. What will others think of me? And I get it. But this isn't intended to be finger-waving or shaming. I believe it's a grace of God to stir up conviction in us so that we might grow. And so our our big idea is this today, that proclamation of the gospel is not an optional add-on to the life of the Christian. It's not reserved for the spiritually elite. A friend and mentor, I'm going to get this right this service, a friend and mentor, a pastor says, I get paid to be good, you're good for nothing. What do you... I said the joke last service wasn't a good one. I should have prepped you. I'm about to tell you a bad joke. But, it's, but, but evangelism and proclamation of the gospel isn't reserved for those who are, who are spiritually elite or, or for, for people who serve as pastors or paid staff in a, in a church setting. It's instrumental to the life of faith. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and the message of Christ is heard when it's proclaimed. Faith comes by hearing, and the gospel is to be proclaimed by those who have faith in Christ. Faith comes by hearing, and the gospel is to be proclaimed by those who have faith in Christ. We're going to look at a few passages of Scripture today, um, but we're going to start in Romans chapter 10. You can turn there if you'd like, Romans chapter 10. It'll be on the screen as well. And in Romans 10, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the issue of Israel's unbelief. They had all the prophecies of the coming Messiah. All of the the hope of God's saving Messiah, His Savior to come, came through the Old Testament prophets. And yet, when Jesus shows up on the scene, grace in person, they reject Him. They cannot justify themselves by works. They know that. And yet, grace in Christ is offensive to them. And Paul is just saying that no matter your background... Jew or Gentile, that those who come to Jesus and believe in him by faith, those who confess him as Lord, that salvation is theirs. That's the radical idea that Paul's bringing to the surface. We'll start in verse 9 of of Romans chapter 10 and read through verse 17. So you can read along. It'll be on the screen and if you want in your Bibles, starting in verse 9. Paul says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him, raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is God's word for us this morning. Amen. Now to work through this text and this idea... I'm asking three questions. One, what is faith? Two, 
How does this faith spread? And three, what's our part? Now, we talk about salvation in in lots of different ways. The biblical language for salvation, the category is faith. And maybe you've used language like this yourself or you've heard language like this. Uh, We talk about salvation in terms like um, surrendering all to Jesus or accepting Jesus into your heart or inviting him into your life. And while all these phrases aren't necessarily bad, they're incomplete if they're disconnected from the idea of biblical faith. And again, I don't mean to, to shame or to, to pick on someone's or, their, or someone or their use of language, but to reorient our thinking a little bit to make sure that what we're inviting people to is what the Scriptures are inviting people to, faith in Jesus. This last summer as a church, we read through Hebrews chapter 11, which is the faith chapter, and we, we gave this definition for what faith is. Faith is believing that God will do all that He's promised to do. Faith is believing that God will do all that he's promised to do. And in this case, when we look at Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, Romans chapter 10, and we see that the promise here for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a glorious promise, isn't it? That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They will not be put to shame. That's a good promise. And so faith is believing that God will actually accomplish what he's promised to do. That those who call on him will not be put to shame. They'll be saved. And we act according to that belief. If we believe Jesus is who he says he is, then we ask him, we call on him to actually save us. Confessing our sin, repenting, turning from our sin. We acknowledge we cannot save ourselves. And we declare that Jesus is Lord. We want to treasure him above everything else. Faith is the theological category for our salvation. So that's what faith is in this scripture. Second, how does it spread? How does it come to us? Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We hear with our ears the message of Christ. We hear the gospel, that Christ has died for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, and we respond by faith. Let's look at Romans 10 just a little bit deeper. Verse 13, Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then in verse 14, Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions. And so we're going to look at them one at a time. For those who would call on the name of the Lord, he asks, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? You don't call someone to do something if you don't believe they can do it, right? You might ask your accountant or financial advisor to help you with your taxes, but you probably won't ask him to help you fix your car, unless, of course, he's good at fixing cars. You won't ask your mechanic to help when you need surgery on your knee, although in a pinch, maybe. And you won't ask your surgeon for financial advice. Again, these could all be qualified depending on the skill or giftedness of your particular group of friends. In which case, if you have friends like that, hang on to them. But what are you doing? You're you're calling the one you actually believe can do something for the question you have. right? You call the person, you say, here's my problem. 
Who can help me with that problem? And I, I call on the help I need to help me with that problem. In this case, we're talking about eternal salvation. If you don't need a Savior, you don't call a Savior. But if you do, if you, if you are broken and you're, you realize, I need help, who do you call to save you? You only call the one you believe can actually save you. So how then will they call on whom they have not believed? Paul continues, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How will people call on Jesus if they don't know that Jesus is the only one who can actually save them? How can they believe in someone they've never heard of? Someone has to tell them about Jesus. In Acts chapter 8, there's a man from Ethiopia. Christ has ascended to heaven. The disciples are now going about the work of gospel proclamation in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And there's a man from Ethiopia who had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. And an angel of the Lord tells Philip, one of the disciples, go go talk to that guy. So Philip runs up to his chariot and hears the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. He's reading this in the prophet Isaiah, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And Philip asks the man, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And Isaiah was speaking of the coming Messiah. It was, a, it was a messianic prophecy in the book of Isaiah. And Philip says, well, let me tell you. Let me explain to you. And uh, Acts tells us that it says, um, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with that scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, consequently, Upon hearing about Jesus and apparently believing in Jesus, as they're going along the road, they come upon some water, and the Ethiopian says, well, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says, I don't have a good reason why you shouldn't be. So they get out of the chariot, and they go down, and Philip baptizes this man in, because he's now a believer in Jesus. And actually, this Ethiopian becomes the first Christian missionary to Ethiopia. He needed to hear about Jesus. How can they believe in him if they don't know who he is? Paul continues, how are they to hear, he says, without someone preaching? The word translated preaching here is a a proclamation. It's an announcement. Someone actually has to say something, is what Paul's getting at. The Ethiopian was right. How can I understand this? And this is important. Now, can God give direct revelation of the gospel of Christ calling people to trust in him? Yes, I refuse to chain God's hands by my own limited ability to understand or comprehend. However, it seems to be the normal, normative way that God spreads his message of the gospel is through proclamation. Even in places where the gospel is closed or uh, outward um, proselytization or, or evangelism is closed to the gospel, many of the places on that little map in the back window that are closed to the gospel, there are stories of men and women who have vivid dreams of the risen Lord Jesus himself calling people to himself. That happens. And even in most of those cases, you know what happens? That that person wakes from their, sli- their sleep and they're, they're being told, even in their visions, to go find a follower of Jesus who can explain to them this thing that they've seen. And in more cases than not, they go and they find a believer 
in their own village or amongst their own people or maybe a missionary, and they say, I've seen something and I don't understand. Help me. And like the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, that faithful believer says, well, let's open up God's word and see what he has to say about what you've seen. One more thing, especially in our current cultural climate, climate, even here, although there's not risk of jail time, more often than not, wherever you live, I guess it's possible, but I doubt it. I don't know where you live, but you're probably not going to go to jail. You're probably not going to get beaten for sharing the gospel. But yet there is some risk, at least social risk. And so we might be tempted to shy away from clear proclamations of the gospel. We can even unknowingly start to believe that, well, maybe we really don't need to say anything at all if only we live godly lives. And just, if I just display the fruit of the Spirit, if I live with love and compassion, then they'll see the gospel, or at least the effects of the gospel. And I'm not saying that's not true, but I think it's inadequate. There's a quote that's often attributed to St. Francis that says something like this, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. The statement might sound nice, but there are a few problems with it. First, there's no writings or no evidence in any of his writings that St. Francis ever said or wrote anything like it. In fact, he was actually known for being a pretty fiery preacher. And as I was talking to Jordan uh, after the first service, um, it's also attributed to him that he took the preach the gospel to all creation so literally that he'd be going along and there'd be a group of like birds on the side of the road. He's like, well, maybe I should preach the gospel there too. And second, it's only partially biblical. Dwayne Lifton is a pastor and former president of Wheaton College. He says this, It's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal, and preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. So let me just say, yes, we are to live our lives in such a way so that the gospel of Jesus to save sinners is clearly seen. Our new lives in Christ reflect a new identity and a new reality. We are to be humble because we of all people, of all people, know how desperately needy we are and how undeserving of God's mercy and grace we are. And yet he has shown us such great, great mercy. So above all people, we are to be humble. We are to be loving because we of all people have tasted undeserved and perfect love. We can and should love others with the love that God has loved us with in Christ Jesus. Above all people, we are to be loving. We are to be generous because we of all people have been given a gift way better than the greatest treasure this earth can supply. And we know that we don't take one cent or one ounce of treasure with us, but rather we have a greater treasure already secured and waiting for us in eternity. So we above all people are to be generous. And, not either or, both and, and we are to be bold in our witness and in our proclamation of the gospel, because someone was bold to share the gospel with you. The hope to be had in Jesus. When you, by God's grace, saw your need for Jesus, you recognized your own brokenness, you recognized your own sin, and you heard his name as the only one who could overcome your sin, who could bring healing to your brokenness, who could restore what's been lost, bringing you from death to life. You believed in him. 
You confessed him as Lord and treasure and you believed in him and you were justified and were saved. Yes, our deeds should match our message and our message our deeds. But we cannot neglect the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus out loud and with words. The gospel is a message that is to be shared. Paul's final question, he says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? And this is what we as pastors and elders are called to do as we equip the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4. And this is what you're called to do as you disciple one another, encouraging one another, stirring one another up to love and good works, Hebrews chapter 10. This is how faith spreads. It's passed from one to another to another. And we are sent to proclaim and preach so that the lost might hear the gospel that they might hear the name of Jesus, they might believe that Jesus is the Savior that they need and call upon His name as Lord and King. And the promise of salvation is fulfilled. And Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And heaven rejoices. Now we've already started to dive into this, but the last question I'm asking and we're asking is, so what's what's our place in this? We've already begun to answer that question. Because all those who are followers of Jesus are not just called to faith, but also sent to call others to faith. Turn in your Bibles just a few pages over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the other scripture we'll look at today. Starting in verse 17. Paul is speaking of Christ who's been raised to life, and he makes three profound statements of purpose. He says this, therefore, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us, made us right to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Hold on to that phrase, ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, that's mercy, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There's phrase two, hold that one. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. There's the third statement. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ has reconciled us to himself. And here are the phrases that he uses. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the message of reconciliation. And he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. We've been reconciled, have been given the ministry of reconciliation, the message, and now the title of ambassador. Hello, my name is Ambassador for Christ. So what are the ministry and the message? Well, the message is the gospel message. That only through Christ Jesus, only through his death, his life, his resurrection, can we be made right with God. His blood was shed for our sins that we might be forgiven. He conquered death and rose again so that we might have new life in the spirit now and a promise of eternal life to come. All that has been broken by sin is restored in Christ. That is the message of reconciliation. And the ministry of reconciliation is the proclamation of that message and the life lived in service to that message. 
Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, which is a city in ancient Greece, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, We loved you so much, Paul says, that we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. We are proclaimers of the message of reconciliation. We are agents of reconciliation. And this message isn't just a proclamation, but it's not anything less than a proclamation. Paul calls us ambassadors. God is making his appeal to the world to consider the gospel of Christ through us. Think about that. God's plan to appeal to a world that that needs a savior His his plan to get their attention, to let them know of the hope that is theirs in Jesus. He says, you know how I'm going to make that appeal? Through you. I'm going to use you, the church, other followers of Jesus, to make the claim that Jesus is the hope of the world. So when we're welcomed into the kingdom through reconciliation in Christ Jesus, we are brought from death to life. We are given a new identity. The old is gone, the new has come. And we are given a new message, a new purpose, a new mission. Among the new titles is forgiven, beloved son or daughter, co-heir to the kingdom. We are called ambassadors. You are called ambassadors. And this process is by design a multiplying process. You proclaim, you teach, you disciple, you baptize, and as they become disciples of Jesus, they too join the ranks as ambassadors. And on and on and on it goes until Jesus returns to collect his bride. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. So for us as a church, it means that we teach and encourage and equip disciples of Jesus, not just to be disciples, but to be those who also make other disciples happens when we gather like this, that we might equip you. It happens when we spread out in smaller community groups and when we interact one-on-one with our neighbors and friends, people we work with. Multiplying disciples means multiplying leaders and groups and, Lord willing, multiplying churches so that this church uh, functions like a little gospel outpost in our context, context, in our culture. To follow through with the ambassador analogy, it's a It's an embassy for the kingdom of God in a foreign land. So the biblical model of discipleship necessitates the planting of new churches to call and equip disciples as ambassadors to reach more people, which then extends the reach of the kingdom, planting new ambassadors and new embassies and raising up new ambassadors to spread the gospel to then see the pattern. Now you might say, that's great, but but I'm not a church planter. I'm a mom. Or, or a student, or I manage an IT help desk. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm a hardcore introvert. Like, hardcore introvert. The meet and greet time gives me hives. <laughs> Why do you make us do that? Or maybe you're saying, look, that's great, but I'm, I'm 10. I'm 10 years old. What does it mean for a 10-year-old to be an ambassador? but I don't live where you live. The question isn't, are you an ambassador of the kingdom? The question is, how might God use you where he's planted you to serve as an ambassador where you are? What does it look like for you in your context, in your world, to serve as an ambassador for Christ? 
as one who has already been given the message and the ministry of reconciliation. Who are the people in your world who need the message of reconciliation? If you're a mom or a dad in the room, the kids God has placed in your family are the first disciples in your care. What does it look like to proclaim the gospel and serve as an ambassador for the kingdom in your home? Students, whether you're in grade school or college or grad school, who are the people in your world who need the message of reconciliation? Who are the peers around you? What opportunities do you have to proclaim the hope you have in Christ? To share with them the gospel and to share with them your very lives. Who are your coworkers or your neighbors? What's the risk you're able to take or willing to take, the social cost you're willing to pay for the sake of the gospel? It might start with offering to, to pray for them. It might just start there. I have a, a guy who lives nearby. We're friendly as neighbors are, right? You see each other mowing the lawn or shoveling snow and you give the wave, hey neighbor. A couple of weeks ago, I'm coming home, I get out and I kind of wave, hey neighbor, and I don't get the same joyful hey neighbor back. His head is low. And I say, hey, what, what, what's going on? Anything going on in your world? He said, actually, yeah. I, after 15 years, I lost my job out of the blue. I don't really know what to do. It kind of floored me. And I said, well, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> How can I help? He said, I, I don't really know, but would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? So right there in the street in front of my mailbox, I just put my arm around a neighbor and said, yeah, let's pray. Let's go to the one who meets us in our time of need. I'm not saying that to like, oh, look how spiritual Jake was in praying for his neighbor. But to say, we don't know who around us is in desperate need for the hope that only is found in Jesus. And in that moment, God saw fit to use my identity as an ambassador to the kingdom to say, let's go to him together and ask him for his help. And maybe that sets the stage and sets the conversation for future conversations to come where I can encourage, point them to the hope that's only found in Jesus. It might start with offering to pray for someone or being bold enough just to share the hope you have. Why you approach the hardships of your life slightly differently. Not that you have it all figured out, but you're not destroyed in your heartache. There's hope there. That looks different from the world, by the way. Or when the opportunity arises, it, it might mean inviting someone to your home for a meal. Not expecting anything in return, but true hospitality that just says, how can I serve you? As an extension of the love that I've been in service that I've been given by Christ. And you might be surprised how many people would be interested in a spiritual conversation or opening up and saying, would you ever like to read, you know, John's gospel or something with me? You'd be surprised how many people go, I don't know, that might be interesting. The proclamation and ambassadorship isn't an optional add-on for the followers of Jesus. That's what we're getting at today. He has loved us and called us and sent us as his agents he is appealing to the world, to your friends and family and neighbors through you. So let's ask for boldness. Let's ask for confidence. Let's ask for wisdom. And let's ask for the power of the Spirit to serve as ambassadors, as those who are actually sent to proclaim the good news to the places where he's placed us so that many people might hear 
and by grace respond in faith to the message of reconciliation through Christ. Not for our sake, but so that the kingdom might expand. So that we might be able to celebrate with one another and with all of heaven that rejoices when the lost call upon Jesus and are saved. That's what we're hoping for and working toward and praying towards. So let's ask for that boldness, confidence, wisdom, and power of the Spirit to be the ambassadors He's called us to be. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask for that. We ask for boldness. We ask for confidence. We ask for fresh eyes to see and remember the kindness you showed us in Jesus and that that would spill out of our lips. We ask for wisdom because we know there are many sensitive conversations and many people who've been hurt and wounded by other people, by people claiming to be Christians, by hypocrites like all of us are as Christians. Too often like people who've been, who've been wounded by the church. So give us wisdom and confidence, not in ourselves, but confidence in the gospel to proclaim that Jesus is indeed, in spite of our frailties, in spite of our own shortcomings and failures, Jesus is indeed good and worthy and our only true hope. Would you expand the kingdom through your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.